This is episode number 63, How to Stick to Your Goals and Stay Motivated with Brian Falchuk. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, inspiring stories, and sports science to help give you the tools you need to be better every single day. I just finished a six-day mountain bike stage race in Poland, skirting along the border of Poland and the Czech Republic in the mountains. And right now I'm traveling in Krakow, Poland, and in Prague. I can't wait to bring back lots of fun stories from the trip, and we'll be sharing that on a later podcast. Because it's always just today, right now. And that's the notion of do a day. It's do what you have to do in this day and this day alone in pursuit of your goals. And the sum total of that is your success. I'm excited about today's guest because we share a similar philosophy in our approach to accomplishments. In order to transform, we have to figure out who we really are and what we want. But it's not always easy to figure that out, and that can change over time. Sometimes we have to know what questions to ask ourselves and understand the reason behind our intentions. And sometimes we just have to make time for it. It's hard to sit down and just take that time for ourselves to check in. For our guest today, Brian Falchuk, the fog lifted when his wife nearly died. Battling with obesity and anxiety for the first part of his life, Brian struggled to show up every day as the person he wanted to be. After his wife's brush with death, he was reunited with his purpose. From that moment, a metamorphosis took place, with finally losing the weight and keeping it off, and also taking a new direction in his life. One of his life goals is to teach people how to overcome challenges and achieve their goals. Brian is an executive coach, a public speaker, a C-level executive, and the best-selling author of Do A Day, in which he outlines his approach to create changes in your life. Using Do A Day, Brian was able to break from this pattern to live a life of consistent, unending health and wellness, and he works to share what he's learned with others seeking a happier, more complete existence. His approach is easy to understand and also easy to implement. Brian's work has appeared in many major publications like the LA Times, Chicago Tribune, Inc. Magazine, and more, and he has been featured on 100 podcasts and radio shows. He has also shared his message across many stages, including multiple TEDx events. You can find his TED Talk in the show notes. In today's episode, you'll learn how Brian created change in his life and how he stuck to those changes, how to focus on being better instead of perfect and how to get off a destructive, self-sabotaging path. We do talk a lot about goal setting, we talk about his book, and we also talk about who inspires Brian and how he maintains a healthy weight. Before we get started, I wanna give a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers medicinal mushroom coffees, hot cacaos, and elixir products. Some mushrooms have health-promoting benefits like helping with sleep, immunity, energy management, and focus. I actually finished a bike ride right before recording this episode, and I was feeling pretty tired because I had gotten over a cold, and I got one of the chaga elixirs out of the cupboard. So chaga is a mushroom, and that helps with energy, and I drank that instead of a coffee. I normally make a coffee after a ride if I'm feeling tired. 
and I felt an instant boost of energy. It's been really fun to experiment with all of these different products from Four Sigmatic. I'm, I'm really curious about adaptogens and adaptogenic mushrooms and how I can optimize my health and recovery process. So it's pretty cool to learn about them. They even have a mushroom academy on their website. If you want to try their products, I have a discount code for you. Just put my name in at checkout, Sonia Looney, or go to foursigmatic.com, and that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash Sonia, and check out their products. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Thanks so much for sharing the show with your friends, for subscribing, for leaving five-star reviews. I love those. I check it every week to see who has left a review. And for taking a screenshot of your favorite episodes and putting them online. My friend Vivi in Brazil does an amazing job of helping me promote the show. And I love seeing what shows resonate with her. And I'd also love to see what you guys are loving. I'd love to invite you to the ultimate mountain bike vacation with me. Yes, mountain bike vacations are the best. And I'm hosting one in Bend, Oregon called the Sonia Looney Experience, October 4th through the 7th. And it's really easy. All you have to do is show up and we take care of everything else. So we're going to have three days of guided mountain bike rides on the awesome trails of Bend, Oregon. And there's professional guides who are leading the rides. So you don't have to worry about anything. They can fix things for you if you if they break or if you break. And also it's for all ability levels. So we'll have groups going out of different ability levels. There's also going to be yoga. There's going to be brewery tours. There's going to be healthy food. And I'm going to be doing some speaking and recording a live podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Spots are limited. So go to sonyalumni.com slash retreats. And I would love to see you there. Let's get into the show with Brian. Let's hear all about Do A Day. Brian Falchuk. Hey, thanks for having me, Sonia. It's great to talk to you again. I was on your show um, about a month ago, and Skype said it's been about that long since we talked, but man, time flies. It, it doesn't feel like I know. it. Yeah, if it wasn't for Skype, I would have thought it was like a week or two. I know. And uh, you're on vacation right now, doing a little bit of work? <laughs> I am. This is probably the best I've done vacation-wise. I'm not much of a disconnector, but I've done a pretty good job. I'm proud of myself right now. Why do you think it think, is that it's so hard for us to disconnect? Well, I have this sense of not wanting to burden anyone else. And that's like, that's a general thing for me. You know, we got into it a bit when you were on my show, but I'm like, I'm a fixer. You know, I like to step in and take care of people and make sure that their burden is as small as possible. So I think I have this feeling of like, not that the world's going to end if I'm not there to step in and do things, but just like, oh, I don't want someone else to have to pick up those pieces. So I better do it. Uh -huh. And like somehow the world has continued despite me not emailing everyone back instantly. And um, I have a really good team around me. And there's a reason why I've hired them or kept them around. Like they're good, capable people. So I'm exercising my trust in their capabilities. And uh, so far, everything's been totally fine. Yeah. And you're kind of doing a couple different jobs right now. Like you work in the insurance business, but then you also have your coaching and you're an author and you have a podcast and you write. So you're a busy guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm a dad and a husband and I think I slept the other day. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, I got a lot going on, but I'm not sure I would have it any other way. Like even if I, if my side hustle was my full-time thing, I'd probably have a side hustle for my side hustle. It's just who I am. Me too. Me too. How do you deal yeah. with the overwhelm of that? 
Uh, that is something a lot of people ask me about. And I think they're expecting some brilliant wisdom. And um, I don't really have it. Like, I'm not good at saying no. And I've tried to be a little bit better about that. But I definitely like I'm going way too hard. And I'm well aware of that. But I do it with specificity. And in that, I mean, I have sort of like an end date or an end goal in mind. This is not the way my life will be for the rest of my life. I don't really get hung up on that kind of notion anyway, but I'm not like, okay, I'm going to be doing like 8,200 hours a week plus family for the next 20 years. Like that's not in the plans. I'm trying to build something through the speaking and coaching and writing that I do. And right now, you know, that's a side hustle for me, but it's incredibly full for a side hustle, but it has such an impact that that's like, I couldn't not do it. So I'm just kind of riding the wave of the passion and the reward of it and recognizing like, this is not the long-term plan. So I'm just going to put everything I can into both sides. And uh, one of them's going to win out eventually. Like there's no way around that. Yeah, there was this interesting podcast guest and author I had on like when I first started my show, his name is Brian P. Moran. And he wrote this book called The 12 Week Year. And it's Mm. about goal setting. But the most memorable quote that sticks out in my mind from that conversation was he said, it's not about having balance. It's about having intentional imbalance. Yeah, I love that. That's Okay, so that's me. That's spot on exactly what's going on. How this all get started? Oh, wow. So there's a whole backstory of my life. This could be a 30-year how this got started kind of story. I don't know how far back you want me to go. <laughs> but I was the fat kid growing up. And that, like, that's really where it started was um, my parents got divorced when I was really young. And I just I had a lot of insecurity and anxiety as a result of that. I was like four or five years old. Gosh, I said 30 years. It should actually be 35 because I'm just about 40. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that was sad. So, you know, like little kids just need to feel safe and secure. And I didn't. And being that young, like you don't really understand your feelings or how to cope with them or work through them. And my parents, you know, they had their hands full. Like there were three other kids in the family. And obviously, like the divorce was a big thing for them. Like that was a huge emotional toll on them and a lot to figure out. So I can't expect that they would just stop everything to like bend down and pat me on the back and tell me everything would be okay. I don't think they even knew what I was going through Mm -hmm. because I didn't. And the one thing kids will do is like you can, I mean, I see it in my own child, like they will change their behavior as a result of their emotional state and they can't even really explain it. Like they'll act out more, you know, the drawings they do at school change. So for me it was, I just ate, I ate a lot. And I was constantly turning to food for comfort because it's really, I mean, like the term comfort food, right? Like we turn to food for comfort. The problem with that is food doesn't actually comfort you, like maybe for a few minutes, but it never fills that void. And so as soon as I was done eating because of anxiety, I was still hungry. You know, like I was never actually satisfying that feeling. And so I got really overweight really quickly and I just couldn't stop. So I got to a point where I was about a hundred pounds overweight in high school. I think eighth grade was probably like relative to my size. Like my height was probably the worst point, but I kept getting bigger through junior year in high school. And that was, you know, talking to my son about it, having a memory today that like when I was his age, I weighed like 55% more than he does, which is just crazy. Like another half of him on top of that. And I was telling him his eyes were just like, you know, hugely open. Like he can't even fathom weighing as much as I did then. You know, he knows what his weight is and he's just like, how do you eat that much? It's like, oh, you know, buddy, I had a lot of issues. I was really upset. I was really worried. And 
I just kept turning to food to help. And it's so cool. Like he's seen so much through my journey and my wife's that he's like, but daddy, food doesn't help you with emotions. It's like, no, exactly. That's amazing. He has that awareness. Yeah. Well, so like maybe I should just fast forward to this big turnaround. I lost weight, but I never dealt with the reasons why. And that was in high school. Like I, you know, I dropped the hundred pounds, but then I put it back on. Like a lot of people do. I put on about half of it. And there's this moment in 2011, my son was two and my wife got extremely sick. So she has chronic Lyme disease and we didn't know about it. We didn't know what it was at the time, but she just all of a sudden got unbelievably sick and just started wasting away. It was in terrible pain. And it got to a point where she was about 100 pounds, couldn't get out of bed, and she was losing two pounds a day, and no one knew what it was or how to stop it. It was was pretty serious. And, like, her doctor gave up on her. He's just like, I'm going on vacation. I'll talk to you guys in six weeks. And it's like, "Um, you know, do the math. Like, she will not be here. And he's just like, okay, we'll take her to the ER. And he hung up. And my son's watching all of this. He's watching his mother basically dying in front of his eyes. And so, you know, whatever anxiety issues I had growing up, I mean, that was divorce, like losing your parent when you're two years old in front of you like that is like, you know, totally off the charts, non-comparison to what I went through. So I just that was it for me. Like, that's what woke me up and finally made me face the reasons why I was obese and not just obese, but like I was a pretty miserable person to be around. I was very reactionary and just kind of like I, I would describe myself as a fixer, but not necessarily in a good way. Not like, you know, I'll take care of this for you. It's like, get out of my way because you're going to ruin everything and I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of pluses to that. I was super independent and I was really good at taking care of problems. And that was my career. I was a management consultant. So like I was hired to go into companies and fix them. So, you know, like I was being rewarded for that, but at the same time it meant I was miserable and I was miserable to be around. And, uh, you know, this point where I'm like, I'm about to lose my wife when actually we should just be starting our life together and starting our family. And, you know, my son's going to, have one parent and it's this miserable excuse of a not a monster but kind of like a crab that's just not okay you know and like that doesn't even begin to touch on what it means for me like the kind of life I'm leading for myself and so it was like a bolt of lightning I just woke up and was like enough and that was June 30th 2011 and the next morning everything was totally different for me like that's when do a day was born and that's that was the catalyst for the start of the whole side hustle and getting the book out. And like, I lost 50 pounds. I got help to deal with the anxiety. I've tried to be a much better husband than I was. I was in a bad work situation. I took some steps to address that, like to start, you know, networking and try to find something else. And bit by bit, like not only did I change those things that were right in front of me and I've maintained them. So I, you know, I lost the weight and I've kept it off for seven years now. But like I've run a marathon, I've done a bunch of century rides and like I didn't, I mean, I literally never ran or cycled. Like I didn't own a street or, you know, a road bike back then. Mm-hmm. I had a terrible mountain bike that I'm not even going to tell you about because it's so embarrassing and you're, you've got way too good equipment. Well, we all started on, I started on like basically a Walmart bike. So, and I raced on it. So, you know, <laughs> okay, it's not unusual to start, have, you know, start out on a starter bike like that. But yeah, it's just total transformation. My son got to watch all that. Like he stopped having this bad role model of a father. And my wife is still alive today because she took her health situation into her own hands and 
found help that was actually willing to help and listen and work through it. And today, like not only is she still alive, but while she still faces Lyme disease, it's not really something once it's chronic that you can get rid of. She keeps it in check. And, you know, people saw me lose weight and change my attitude and all that and reached out for me to coach them. Well, people saw her not die which is a pretty bold thing to watch because, you know, people were aware of what she was going through. And so they started reaching out to her for help. And she's now a, a certified functional medicine health coach. And she's literally helping people save their own lives, which is about as honorable a thing as you can do. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, there's a lot of places I could go from there, a lot of different. Yeah. different. So I guess the first question I have is how does somebody get chronic Lyme disease? So most likely it was from a tick and she grew up in the Northeast and there's tons of ticks around and there's a lot of Lyme disease around. And, um, you know, growing up, like she definitely had ticks on her. It was a pretty normal thing. She was first in Long Island and then they moved to Vermont, which are both like hotbeds. So lots of tick bites over the years. And so it was most likely that she got it at some point through her childhood and she had symptoms of it throughout the years and no one could ever nail what it was because they would come and go. It'd be like two or three days of intense sickness and then nothing. And so the doctors were always like, oh, you know, you caught 24 hour bug or you got, you know, the flu or whatever, but they can never explain it. And that's how the spiral happened is she just had one of these episodes and we're like, oh, you know, a couple days, like it'll suck, but we'll get through it. And then, you know, you'll be okay. And like two days go by and it's just getting worse. And then three, and then she's like, she had never had a three or four day spot. And then it just kept going mm. and it like, it didn't stop. So that was a, a pretty serious change. We think she got reinfected. She and my son were playing in the leaves a few months before the, uh, you know, things really started to turn around. And as you, you start to piece the puzzle together, you're like, okay, there were weird symptoms all since that October that, you know, you just sort of blow off. It's like, oh, I just feel this way today. No big deal. And it's like, well, actually, if you know what you're looking for now, it starts to make sense. So reinfection, but there's clearly a history of what are really classic Lyme symptoms since she was like probably 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Okay. So whenever you decided you saw this traumatic thing happen with your wife and your, your son saw it as well, and you all of a sudden were able to start making changes that stuck, you were able to lose weight and keep the weight off. You were able to start doing things and feel more empowered in your life. Can you be more specific as to why that specific event made that give you that personal power? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the key things in the coaching work that I do is trying to help people figure this out. And for me, it was thrust upon me and it doesn't have to like you don't have to have a gun in your face to get this. But what was thrust upon me was this sense of purpose that I'd never had. So when I lost weight the first time, it was honestly for pretty petty reasons. They didn't feel petty at the time, but it's not surprising in hindsight why I put the weight back on. I was in high school. I didn't want to be known as the fat kid anymore. You know, like I wanted girls to like me. I didn't want to be left out, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And so I lost all this weight and I learned a ton about wellness and about fitness from this incredible guy who worked in my high school who uh, ran the PE program. And I owe him a lot, but I never dealt with the why behind it. And so, you know, then I go to college and no one knew me. And so it's like all the reasons why I lost weight were gone because no one in college knew me as the fat kid. And so like my motivation vanished. Well, it's no wonder then that I put the weight back on. So fast forward to this moment, it's like, now you're talking about really serious things that are not just about my looks. You know, it's not about whether I'm the slowest runner or my pants are bigger than everyone else's or, you know, whatever 
physical material kind of stuff. This is about really, really deep things. So the kind of father that I am, the kind of husband that I am, the kind of husband and father I want to be and that these people that I love more than anything deserve. And even for myself, why do I need to have a life where I'm constantly overridden by anxiety? Why do I need to feel like everything's about to fall apart? Which I was aware of feeling that way before, but I was just kind of like, this is the way it is. This is who I'm supposed to be and I'm good at it. So, you know, whatever, that's just that. I didn't look obese the second time around. I looked American. So it's like everyone in the U.S. is just kind of chronically a bit overweight. Yeah, my husband calls it squishy because he, yeah. he used to be squishy. And he's like, I was, oh, a, and he's like, I was a squishy guy. Yeah. It's kind of a nice way to say it. Yeah, it's like we trivialize it, but it's really unhealthy. And it's not just that. So I know the exact amount of weight and body fat and all that because I, you know, I'm not obsessed about it, but I, I drew a line in the sand. So I was 222. I'm 178 this morning. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm a little bit bigger than I have in the past few weeks just because my knee's kind of jacked up right now. So I'm not running, but I will get back. But that's like a considerable amount of extra weight. And at the time, no one noticed you know, growing up, everyone knew I was fat and everyone commented on it. No one said a word when I was an adult because I just looked like everybody else. You know, I just went to Six Flags with my son and we went to the water park and like there is no way growing up I would have taken my shirt off. And now I'm like, even back then, I'd be like, I just look like everybody else. It's not like I'm going to stand out. Yeah, like everyone's a bit overweight and so whatever. And that's just part of life. So it's like I didn't question the weight part so much as the emotion part. And I knew it wasn't okay. And I, the wake up was really like, like the kick in the pants is about being a better dad. But through that process, I also realized like, wait, what about me? Why can't I be a better me for me? Why do I have to be miserable? It's not just for my son's sake. Like that is more important to me than anything. I give my life for that kid. But even still, like I still, shouldn't I care about my life for me? And that's really, I mean, it sounds a little bit simple. It sounds a little bit hard to fully explain the power of, and that's because it's a really personal thing. And that's one of the things in my book, I don't tell you like, here are the five steps you take, like a workbook and out pops your motivation. It's really personal. It's an introspective journey. So I pose some questions to challenge people to go on that journey, but I can't tell you what your motivation is. Like I don't, when I coach people, I never tell them like, okay, well your answer's X. But I'll be really annoying and keep questioning you and, you know, not accept your answers to get you to work through it yourself to bring out like this is what really matters to you above all else. And for me, it was thrust upon me. But anyone can find it if you're willing to look for it. Yeah, I think that answering that question of why is really hard sometimes because it requires you to be vulnerable and honest with yourself. Yeah. And also sometimes you just don't know the answer. So that can be yeah. really intimidating as well. And then you feel hopeless because you don't know the answer. Yeah. And so what I would say is it helps to have a friend or a guide to question and probe you. Like you can do it yourself, but it works a lot better when you have someone who's willing to do the work with you and to push you along the journey. It can be really hard for a spouse or a significant other or a parent to do that because of the roles like that can get kind of touchy and, you know, other relationship dynamics come into it. And that's where I feel like everyone is a life coach right now, but that's kind of what a life coach's purpose is. But ultimately, like you need to be able to be open and honest and do that work. And you're not doing it for the coach. You know, you're not answering them. You're actually answering yourself and they're just helping you tease it out for yourself. 
And if you can't answer it right now, that's okay. I mean, if I go back to that moment in 2011, while I was so clear on the feelings around my son and my wife and my sense of obligation and love for that little boy and what I wanted to be for him and to make sure that like, look, if his mother dies, his father better not die soon after because I'm a you know physical and emotional wreck. Like one of us has to survive for him. I wasn't clear on the parts about me. Like that actually took me writing my book to figure out that under the surface was for the first time, some form of valuing myself, which I really had never done before. And that's something like, look, that was a, well, my book came out in 2017. I started writing it at the end of 15. So that's like a four or five year journey before those thoughts started to come together. And that's okay. Yeah. I think that the great thing about your book and about coaching in general is that you kind of know what questions to ask because if you're, you're relying on your spouse or your friends to help you get through something or figure out who you are or what you want out of life, they might not know how to pose those questions in a way that's going to resonate with you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. regarding your book, what made you decide that you were going to write a book? Because there's a lot of different ways that you can get your message out there. Like why was yeah. it a book? So the thing for me is like, I'd been coaching people, you know, a little bit on the side as much as, as my career would allow. And that was like the most rewarding thing that I did professionally. Like every time I get off one of these calls, I'd be so charged up and I'd hear stories from people who I'd been coaching that were, you know, off on their own now and just thriving. I was so rewarded by it. And I, I talked to someone who's a mentor for me and I was telling him about this and I was like, you know, if, if there's some way to do that more, that's what I want. It's not the coaching itself. It's the inspiration. It's the idea that like what I put out there just helps someone change their life. And I say that really purposefully, like someone changed their life, not I changed your life or I helped you. It's like you have to do it. I can be a guide, but you're the one who changes your life. And that notion that, that someone did that for themselves with a little bit of guidance or inspiration or help for me is huge. And I'm like, even if I did it 24 seven, I still don't feel like I'd be doing enough. And I'm really struggling to figure out how do I scale that message? And I had some thoughts about ultimately where I wanted to go and, and some really big, hairy, audacious goals of what I want to achieve in life. And I talk about them at the end of the book that I do want to be an Ironman before I die. Like I, I would love to achieve that. I got to figure out the swimming part. But um, I was like, you know, I actually want to make a whole documentary about it. Like I want to chronicle the idea that you can be a non-pro athlete and tackle something like that. And I know there are tons of people who've done it, but just for me, I wanted to do that and, and see if that inspires anyone. So he's like, all right, if that's the last domino, how do you, what are the dominoes you need to line up before that one that when you start knocking them over, you get to that. And he just left me with that. It's like typical coach, deep question that sounds simple, but you really need to ponder. Mm -hmm. And I was in San Francisco for work. I woke up early the next morning and headed out on the Embarcadero along the Pacific Ocean and went for a run. And I just thought through it. And the domino that I came back to is like the first dominoes. I need to write a book. Like I know the message. I've been coaching people with do a day for a while. I need to put this into a book so that I can scale up the message and get it out there. And like, that's a really great way to touch as many lives as possible. And there are other things along the way with the book, but that's kind of the main vehicle. And that was like in the first mile of the run, I think I ran like five, five and a half miles. The rest of it was structuring the book. And as soon as I got back to the hotel, I had the whole thing in my mind. And I just basically like got my stuff together, got to, I showered first, got to the airport and I just started writing. And I wrote 
at SFO till my flight took off. I wrote the whole flight home and I had about a third of the book finished by the time I got back to Boston. It just came out of me and I was like, I need to get this out and it will inspire people. And even if one person buys it and no one else and that person is inspired, then I've done my part. You know, it just became blatantly obvious that this is the way I need to progress to keep getting this message out. Yeah, and you did a TED Talk about it as well. So do you want to explain to everybody what do a day means? Yeah. So there's a few foundational components, but ultimately do a day is a way that you execute on your life to achieve the goals that you really seek. So you start with self-love. You have to value yourself to begin with. And I talk a bit about how you get to that point. And then you find your true motivation. So this is what I was talking about that was thrust upon me, you know, my feelings towards my son and my wife and ultimately myself. And then we all have things in life that we want to achieve. And they're really big things. You know what? I use the weight example because it's very tangible, but I had to lose 100 pounds and that was always too daunting. But that's what I need to get my life to where I want it, like for that aspect of it. So the goal is not five pounds or 10 pounds, it's 100 pounds or it's, you know, for you, like achieve, like completing a major race, like the first time you did the yak attack or, you know, some major accomplishment that you're looking for that would take your life to a place where you want it to be. Then the question is, well, how do you do it? The weight loss example, and this is what do a day is, is like I knew for years I had to lose literally 100 pounds. And every time I'd face it, it's like, well, that's too much. It's daunting. It's like, any major goal is always too much if you look at it all at once. You know, people are like, I need to be healthier, so I need to go to the gym for the rest of my life. Well, I don't care how old you are, going to the gym for the rest of your life is a lot of days of going to the gym. And, you know, like, we need to get more specific than just go to the gym. What are you going to do there and for how long and, and all that? But, like, all of that is too much. Well, the thing is, you're not going to the gym for the rest of your life today. You're not losing 100 pounds today. You know, you're not climbing to the top of a mountain today or in one step. Everything builds and it's about the successive wins that add up to your total goal. It's about moving your life forward. But if you do that every day with this sense of like, oh, my God, I have this much to do. And how am I going to do this forever or, or do that much? You get crushed by it. You get so weighted down by the anxiety of all that's yet to come that you end up backing down. You end up failing. You end up giving up, you know, whatever it is. And that, that was my story. So, you know, I was always trapped between these two things, the sense of failure or judgment or pain from yesterday, you know, the bad food choices I had made or failures at work or like, you know, if you yell at your kid and then you feel like a terrible parent and you judge yourself as a terrible parent, it's like, look, you did something yesterday that you're not happy about, or maybe you've lost something like, you know, a relationship that ended or a parent passed away or whatever. You have some pain from yesterday. Well, that's real and you recognize it and you learn from it and you give it its space. You also need to recognize that it's not happening right now and so you can still move forward. And you also do that free of all of the tomorrows that you believe are yet to come. You don't know. You don't know what's gonna happen or not. You don't know how easy or hard it's gonna be. Mm -hmm. Like when I trained for the Chicago Marathon, my first run was three miles. You know, the last one, one is 26.2 and I could not run 26.2 when I did that first run. So if I just focused on that last run in the race and be like, oh my God, I'll never do this. Like I can only run three miles. Well, guess what? It's irrelevant. I'm not running 26.2 right now. I've got all kinds of things I'm going to go through in my life before I get to that race that will prepare me for it. And the only thing I need to do right now is do this three mile run 
that will move me forward towards my total goal. And I don't need to worry about whether I ran yesterday or not or how well it went or whether I will run tomorrow or all the tomorrows between now and the race because it's always just today right now. And that's it's a notion to do a day. It's do what you have to do in this day and this day alone in pursuit of your goals. And the sum total of that is your success. Yeah, it's about being present and focusing on where you are right now instead of where you wish that you would be. And like as an athlete, this happens a lot because our fitness isn't going to be the same all the time. And you'll think, well, a year ago I was this fast or this fit, so I should be there now. This is where I should be starting. But sometimes you have to take a step back and you almost have to start over. And it's learning to just be okay with that too. Yeah. So, Sonia, you did a race in Costa Rica, and I saw this video of you right before the race, and you were talking about that you hadn't raced in a while because you you were recovering from a broken arm. Uh And, you know, I can imagine, and maybe you didn't feel this way, but a lot of people, you know, you're a pro athlete, you break something, and so you're sidelined for a while, and you go into this dark place of like, oh, my God, my career is over, or like, how am I supposed to do this race, or what if I don't recover, or what if it's never the same? The other way it can go is like, yeah, that's possible. Or actually, it may be fine. You may recover well. It may give you a chance to recover from past races and past training, and your body can get refreshed, and then you can have a different training program that may yield better results. You don't know either way, but it's very easy to get in that dark place. It's ultimately a choice, right? You're going to live through it one way or the other. It's just a question of how you frame it, because right now, you have no idea how it's actually going to turn out. Yeah, it's so true. So I want to talk about self-sabotage, in particular with diet, because a lot of times we're like, okay, I'm not going to drink or I'm not going to eat sweets or whatever. And then you break the seal and you have a cookie and then one cookie leads to two and then two leads to four. And then you're like, well, I might as well have a bag of popcorn. And then like you've like slid the slippery slope and now you're catapulting down the the side and that's self-sabotage. So how do we avoid that? And how do we pick ourselves back up and start over and keep moving forward on our desired path? Yeah. Well, so I've certainly been there as I think everybody has. I mean, that was like my whole weight loss journey before I actually lost weight was every day I'd have this pep talk with myself about like, today's the day you're not going to eat that junk. And then, you know, an hour later it's thrown away and I'm like, well, I've already broken it today. So I might as well. It's a whole might as well idea. Mm-hmm. super common in weight loss journeys and but it's also that's part of the problem pretty much in any addiction story is that's how people fall off the wagon and then it's like well I've thrown everything away so to me like do a day is pretty crucial there so I was working with someone who uh, had done a really good job changing their diet getting clean and made a lot of progress towards where they wanted their body to be And then it was Jimmy from accounting or whoever's birthday. And so everyone from work went out to the bar and this person had, I don't know, a couple of beers and like some buffalo wings or nachos or something, whatever appetizers they all ordered, ended up just like, you know, getting really upset with themselves. Mm -hmm. They didn't go crazy at the bar, but as soon as they got home, they ordered pizza and like a liter of Coke or two liters of Coke and had like some ice cream or something in the freezer and just went to town. And it was this whole like, well, I've already ruined everything, so I might as well just enjoy myself. And you can guess like the next morning, the amount of regret that was there. Mm-hmm. So that was such a, a really great example for me to work through with them about really specifically like how to put do a day into action. It's like, look, 
you had lost 20 pounds. How many calories were in that beer, those two beers and the nacho that you had? Like in the grand scheme of things, maybe 1% of what you've already moved yourself forward on. So did you actually throw everything away in that moment? No. Now you should look at why you made those choices and maybe it was for good reason. Like I always say one of the reasons I held off on going vegan was I had all these future like tomorrow what ifs like what about a business trip or you know what about like i'm stuck in an airport and there's nothing to eat and you know i had every excuse in the book but one of them was what about my son's birthday and he's going to want me to have cake with him and it's like his birthday is nowhere like his birthday is not happening right now why is that a valid argument for right now well guess what his birthday came around and i had a piece of cake and it wasn't vegan and i'm still here and I still made vegan choices after that, and I still survived. You know, like you can still go right back to the right path just because you slipped off of it. Just understand why. Like I made that choice purposefully for a good reason, and maybe I wouldn't make that choice again, but I did it intentionally then, and I understood why, that it was more important to do that for him because he was like, three years old or what, you know, he's really young and it mattered to him that daddy was having a piece of cake with him. I made that choice in that moment and I understood why, and I'm not going to beat myself up for it. But where the person slipped up was it was all of that guilt and that sense of like, well, everything's ruined. And then they went off the rails, you know, like the pizza and the cake or ice cream or what, like all the other stuff that was like 5% of their progress or whatever, like significantly more than the thing they were beating themselves up about originally because they failed to be mindful and put it into perspective and understand, you know, why did I do that and what can I learn from it? Now, even still, the next morning, do a day is not like, oh, that doesn't matter. That was yesterday. So I'm good. You know, I don't need to look at that at all. No, like think about what happened. Think about why that spiral occurred. Think about what you could do differently next time. If you do find yourself in that situation and you choose the same thing again, how do you control it so you don't go off the rails? Because you actually did a great job at the bar. It was the after effect. You know, that's when things fell apart. So what do you do to grow from what you consider a mistake and take that forward? You don't beat yourself up about it. Recognize that you did something that you wish you didn't do. Make a change and move forward. So it's about keeping things in perspective. And if you're mindful about it, then you don't just like mindlessly eat your way into like, oh, my God, what happened to me? You know, you stay on top of it. Yeah, it sounds like if you have that mindfulness, then you avoid the rumination of repeating the story over and over and then adding on to it how you're bad or you shouldn't be doing that or yeah. how it's all over. And it also, to me, it sounds like people are obsessed with perfection. And especially if you're, I used to be this way. It's like you're trying to count calories and you're writing down all your food and you want that piece of paper to look absolutely perfect. And once there's a flaw in there, the whole thing is just ruined. And yeah. it's about shifting your mindset into progress over perfection. And the same thing goes with changing your diet. And I tell a lot of people like, yeah, you don't have to call yourself a vegan. You don't have to eat 100% plant-based or vegan or whatever you want to call it. But it's about just making those healthy choices and being aware of the choices that you make. And in the instance of your son's birthday cake, it's like you chose, you were mindful about that choice and you're like, this isn't a big deal. I'm just gonna have yeah. a piece of cake and this doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. But I think that when a lot of people commit to a path or commit to a goal and then make that goal public, 
they are worried about people pointing a finger at them and saying, look, you screwed up or look, I thought you said you were going to do this. And then they get defensive and they get backed up against a wall. So I think that that can be really intimidating for people whenever they want to make big goals or big statements about what they're going to do in their lives. Yeah. And especially with social media and I can't think of the term right now, but things like map my fitness and like the fitness and wellness related social networks. I know there's a name for all those things like Garmin connect and all that, Strava. but, um, <laughs> yeah, Strava, but the, um, the meal one, my fitness pal, right? So I use that when I was training for the marathon cause I was still a pretty new vegan and I, I just used it to keep track of like, am I getting enough calories? And like, that was a huge problem for me marathon training because I was burning way more than I was putting in because I, I do, especially men, I really try hard to eat whole food, real food and not a bunch of processed stuff. Like you can pack on the calories pretty easily if you get all the like <laughs> fake vegan food, yeah. you know, vegan ice cream, not like tons of calories, but that's irrelevant. You know, it takes a lot of lettuce to put back a 20 mile run, no doubt. So I just, you know, I wanted to keep track of my calories, but I was also recognizing everything I eat is going out to all my friends who are on there. And I had plenty of people who would comment on either my meals or my activities. And I don't care because if they see that, you know, like I went out and got Chinese food because I was in a serious calorie debt and I happen to love Chinese food. Yeah, it was vegan, but like not the healthiest of choices. And I'm well aware of that, but I'm not bothered by it. And It's interesting. The only comments I got, despite like the first time I did it, I definitely had a little bit of a cringe. Like, oh my God, who's going to see this and be like, oh, perfect, healthy Brian. What's he getting here? Someone was like, I'm so glad you put that out there because I feel like I can't keep up with you. You know, you're, you're living this perfect health life. And, you know, here I am like eating a cookie occasionally. I'm like, oh my God. So the next day I also got a cookie. It was a vegan cookie, but it was still a cookie. And I just got like a smiley face from them. I'm like, look, I'm human. I'm not perfect. And by the way, what is perfect? I'm trying to be a well-rounded, happy person. And last time I checked, that has nothing to do with whether I only eat kale or not. So yeah, like humanize yourself a bit. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I want to get into your diet a little bit more in a few minutes, but I also wanted to talk about do a day and goal setting because a lot of times we'll set goals for ourselves and we get really excited at the start and we get started and we're moving and then we just sort of lose motivation and just stop doing it. So what is that tipping point? Or I don't know if you can identify it, but what is that tipping point of whenever we start losing steam and then why do we stop? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And I think a lot of people feel like it's particular to certain kinds of goals. And a lot of it happens to be around like fitness or or weight loss or whatever. I think this, what I'm about to say, I think can apply really, really broadly, but I'm a huge, huge believer in the interim markers. So it's like I said, with weight loss, like you have a hundred pounds to lose. You don't just set that and be like, okay, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds by like 14 months from now or whatever. And then (laughs) we'll check in in 14 months you need to have those interim markers and you need to watch what's going on and you need to care about the results, not obsessing about them and not expecting straight line performance. It's a wobbly line. It's up and down, but you should generally like the line of best fit should be going in the direction you want it to go to. And so that's what I do for pretty much anything. And that, you know, I've got people who I work with that are trying to save up to buy a house that have really bad spending habits. And so we talk about, okay, what do you need for the down payment? What can we do that's realistic, but is actually going to push you to start to change your behavior to get you there? And how are we going to watch your progress? 
and it's not we like I'm not looking at their bank account, but it's a nice way of me saying like you need to stay on top of your numbers and I'm going to question you about it. But like mm-hmm. you put those interim goals like, OK, at the end of this month, I should have this much in my savings account. And, you know, at the end of this month if or this week, even I should be at this weight. And I mean, it's like every weight loss TV show like Celebrity Fit Club, you know, they do their big way in. The problem with those things is like the process that they're using to get there is usually really forced. You know, it's the big thing that um, I can't remember. Oh, biggest Loser. You know, that it's like it's hyper unnatural. People are like sequestered in a house working out 24 seven and, you know, eating not like they would eat normally. So, of course, they lose the weight and then they get out and most of them put it back on. So I don't push for any of that. I want to see, like, what is something that is actually sustainable that is a real goal that will push you. But we need to watch how you're doing along the way, just like anyone who's done any endurance events. When you're dragging, when you're having a tough time, you don't think about, I've got, you know, 20 miles to go. That's a long way. I don't care if you're cycling, you know, it's a little bit faster or running or rowing or whatever is the distance. You're not going to be there in like three seconds. So how do you get yourself there? It's, you know, in running, we say like run to the next street sign and don't worry about the distance beyond that because you're not running that right now. You know, it's very much do a day. It's like get yourself to that street sign and right before you get there, pick the next one. Like I ran through Manhattan that way. I was like trying to get back to my hotel and I I was really tired at that point. And luckily, like the blocks aren't that far apart. So I just like, you know, 31st, 32nd, like halfway down 32nd, I'm looking at 33rd. You just keep moving yourself along, but have those markers. And if you're focused on the next step after you've crossed the current one, then that keeps pulling you forward. It's that sense of stacking wins one on top of the other you don't get lifted up by watching yourself succeed, then I think you've missed the first point. And that's the self-love thing. Like if you love yourself enough and believe in yourself enough, seeing yourself succeed should keep pushing you ahead. Yeah, I actually use that a lot in my racing. And it was funny, I did 100K in Japan back in May, and I was really struggling mentally just with the course. And I had to keep making it shorter, like making my little mini goals within the race shorter and shorter. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, I just got to get through the next kilometer. So I had to literally break it down into single kilometers to make it digestible in my mind because I was just so mentally fatigued from everything else I had been doing. Yeah. And with 24-hour racing, like people ask me, well, how do you do that? And it's the same thing. It's like you have to create goals that are achievable within the race. Otherwise, like riding your bike for 24 hours is just insane. And it's like completely just overwhelming if you are starting a race thinking, well, I have 24 hours to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the essence of do a day and expand that to anything that we face in life, whether it's, you know, the next 24 hours or the rest of your life, all of that's daunting. It's too much and none of it's happening right now. So focusing on all of that is not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to turn you down. So focus on what you're trying to achieve in this moment, like be aware, you know, it's not like put blinders on and ignore the fact that there's reality, but that's not your focus right now because you're not performing on that. While we're talking in the background, I have this cycling training plan called the Sufferfest build and I did this and it's awesome. Actually, I need to do it again. It was terrible and amazing at the same time. But one of the plans is called Revolver. And I can't count how many intervals there are because the picture is too small, but it's something like 17. I've done it. And I'm looking, I'm like, how do you do that? And it's like, well, because you don't do all the intervals at once. It kind of sucks when you're doing it. And that's the point. But just one interval at a time, you know, it doesn't matter how many more you have or how many you've done. Like you just like right now I'm doing this interval and I can't be bothered with 
whether there's 10 more to do or not. I just need to get through this one. And that's all my mind is going to focus on right now. And that's enough. I'm going to succeed at this. Yeah, I love that. It's like taking that laser beam of light and really focusing it on the thing that's right in front of you instead of trying to make that light point way, way, way ahead. And then you miss what's right in front of you. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I also think that with motivation, that having like what you said earlier, that sense of purpose, your why, coming back to that sense of purpose and that sense, the reason why you started that goal is really helpful whenever you're starting to feel less motivated. Yeah, that's a great point. So I do that every day. So when I start every day, I remind myself why I'm doing this. And I do a meditation in the morning and that's a big piece of it is I'm mindful of what are the major things I'm trying to get out of today because I have incredibly busy days jam-packed with meetings from, you know, some days I start at 2 a.m. and I go straight through till 10 and that 10 p.m. unfortunately. There's a reason why my hair is significantly grayer than it was a year ago. But (laughs) if I know why, that makes it a hell of a lot easier to burn like that. It's that like going back to your point about the intention I remind myself, like, there is a reason why I'm putting all this together. And that's more important than anything I'm going to feel in any given moment. So I'm going to move ahead. That makes a huge difference. Like, I keep that front and center for me always. I love that. So I want to talk about you being a vegan. Is that how you lost all your weight initially? Or was it something else? No, no, no. I wish I was vegan a long time ago. I Like, I wish I stopped making those excuses. Shouts out to Rich Roll for writing Finding Ultra. And that that was the thing that the straw that broke the camel's back in a positive way. But uh, he just kind of calls it out like, you know, for those who don't know, vegan ultra endurance athlete who's also used to be an attorney and alcoholic and very much not vegan who collapsed or nearly collapsed trying to get up the stairs the night before his 40th birthday after downing God knows how many cheeseburgers. And then fast forward a few years and he's named the one of the fittest men in the world. And he does these ultra endurance, ultra Ironman. So he did five Ironman distance triathlons in seven days. Does these back-to-back double Ironman. It's crazy. So he's a vegan. If you can't tell, like huge man crush on my part, but (laughs) that's okay. I'll own it. So he just kind of calls it out like, you know, why aren't you doing this? And I was like, yeah, you know what? He's right. And that's actually where do a day got its name is I just said out loud, I was like, I can do a day, like enough excuses. I can be vegan tomorrow. There's no reason why I can't make it work for a day. Like I firmly believe everyone can do anything for a day. And that was in very early January, 2015. So I've been vegan since then. I wish to God I had been long before. And it's for one simple reason. It's not that I couldn't have lost the weight because I already did. And I'm a little bit thinner than I was then. I'm certainly a lot healthier. But the big difference for me as a vegan is exercise has absolutely nothing to do with my weight anymore. Whereas it used to be so tied to this notion of like, I used to tell people I spent the first half of my life obese and the second half trying not to be. Well, first of all, like what a crappy way to describe your life. Like who wants to spend their life trying not to be obese? Does that sound awesome? No. No. (laughs) Yeah. So like being vegan has allowed me to not care about my weight whatsoever. I don't exercise to control my weight. I exercise because shockingly, I happen to love exercise. I love working out. I love running. I love cycling. And I can't believe I'm saying any of that. I don't love swimming. I really need to if I want to be an Ironman, but one step (laughs) at a time. But it's just because like, I don't have to work in my weight. So like I said, my knee's kind of jacked up right now. My IT band is, is giving me a lot of issues. 
And so I'm not, I'm not working out as much. When I started to put on a little bit of weight, I put on literally two pounds. I don't care. Like, first of all, my weight is still right where it should be. And you know how quickly I can take two pounds off? It's just a total non-issue. So I'm not working out very intensely. You know, I'm doing a little bit of elliptical and some body weight stuff. That's it. And my weight's fine. It's right where it needs to be. It's completely within my control. Whereas before it would have been like, oh my God, I'm not working out right now. What's going to happen? I'm going to gain like 10 pounds and then I'm going to have to like push myself super hard. The whole do a day thing, I would have been uh, really pushing myself to be like, do a day, Brian, don't freak out. You can do it. So veganism has, uh, or, you know, being plant powered or whatever words you want to use, that's just allowed me to actually enjoy my physical movement and totally lifted this whole cloud of anxiety around being that former obese guy and the fear of becoming one again, because I had become one again before. So that's the main reason why I'm never giving that up. And I don't have a regret. I just wish like, wouldn't it have been nice if I found it five, 10 years earlier, like before my son was born, that would have been awesome. I don't think it's possible before my wife got sick because that as terrible as that was, that changed us in such a dramatic way. We needed that wake up call. We would not be where we are today without it. So I don't think it could have been pre 2011, but it could have been a hell of a lot sooner than it was. Yeah, you always hear, (laughs) I follow lots of different vegans online, and one of the funny quotes I see, which I agree with, is the only regret that every vegan has is that they wish they would have done it sooner. Yeah. And I'm the same way, and you can't out-exercise a bad diet, and I've had multiple guests on from the plant-based world to talk about that. And even myself personally, I can totally relate. Like, if I got injured or sick or I just wasn't able to train as hard... I would be stressed out about gaining weight because you're not exercising. And I would always correlate the exercise with weight maintenance. And the irony of that is that if I am exercising 20 hours a week and I'm eating like a processed vegan diet, more processed foods, more cookies, more booze, like whatever, it doesn't matter how many hours I ride, I'll still gain weight that week. Yeah even eating a vegan diet if it's not healthy. So like, yeah, yeah, when I first started cycling, I used to be a runner, like I ran a marathon when I was like 18 and 19 and then I found cycling. And I thought to myself like, wow, I'm going riding for like four hours. That means I can eat whatever I want. This is awesome. And so when I was like, yeah, 1920, I was eating cookies and ice cream and like chips and all the junk food that I had not let myself eat in the past because I was exercising so many hours that I could do that. Well, guess what happened? I gained like 10 pounds my first year as a cyclist because I thought that because I was exercising a lot more, I could eat a lot more calories. And it was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to me as you're talking about, you know, the processed vegan diet. There's so many, they're kind of clickbaity, but these, all these articles, you know, there's been such a rise in gluten-free food and they're all like, oh, gluten-free, you're going to put on a ton of weight. I'm like, yeah, because you're talking about all these gluten-free cakes and cookies and bread. And if you ate the non-gluten-free version of it, guess what would happen? So you're like people who eat a balanced diet. Now all they're eating is like Udi's muffins. Guess what? Yeah. You're totally going to put on a ton of weight. That's So to me, it's like when people either focus on like, how do you get your protein? You know, it's just the stupidest question in the world. Or, you know, they're like, I don't know, all that tofu and those fake meat, you know, fake burgers and a lot of pasta. And I'm like, well, okay, go through the produce aisle. Like, it's not an issue. My weight is a total non-issue. It's not just the veganism. It's also the serious reduction in processed food. 
I think that's such a key thing to it because you'll gain weight on any diet if you eat junk. Exactly. Yeah. So to wrap this up, let's talk about your podcast a little bit. Like when did you start it and what's the premise of the show? It's called the Do A Day Podcast because I'm really good with original names. The premise of it is like it's what the book is. So the book is about my story, some things that I've gone through and this philosophy that developed out of it. So I use my story to illustrate like how would you apply it in the hopes that people see, you know, I tell a bunch of different scenarios and and situations for people to see like, oh, I I identify with that. Let me take something from it and use it in my life. Well, the thing is, I haven't been through everything. There are other people with unbelievably amazing stories that are so different from mine. So I'm not going to connect with everybody through my own story. I want the stories of others. And originally, I was going to do that as a follow-up book. And um, the problem is I couldn't get anybody to give me their story to put into a book. So I was like, well, I could certainly do it through a podcast. And I love talking with people and, and getting them to tell their story in their own words, in their own voice. So it's just sort of a natural fit. So this is um, other people who have some inspiring story of overcoming you know, getting through some serious challenge, some serious toughness that they've learned from and grown from. And uh, now they have a story that's come out of that they're using to help other people. So, yes, I had you on the show, which I was very geeking out, excited about. <laughs> I also had a guy named Josh Lajani on the show. Who, oh, I love Josh. Uh, he came on my show, too. Oh, cool. Josh yeah. is, is a great guy. So I, I heard Josh back when he did the Ritual podcast the first time and was just like, oh, my God, he's me. So, yeah, he he had over 200 pounds to lose. So he's you know, he was in a worse spot than I was. But I identified so much with what he went through. And um, so I was just like, you know, if I ever do a show, I got to get him on. So I was on a, a podcast and this guy, Howard Jacobson, who works with Josh a lot. And I was just like, you know, you got to introduce me to Josh. I got to I got to interview him for my show. And he said yes, which was super cool. But Josh is such a great story because he didn't just lose weight himself. He's a guy from from deep south, you know, from Louisiana, grows up in a, a culture where the bigger you are, the better you are. Like it's totally celebrated. And so, you know, the odds were stacked against him. He was up over 400 pounds and he finds veganism and he finds running and he transformed his life. And that's not good enough for him. He wants to transform the lives of all the people he cares about around him who are also caught in that culture, who are also obese and have serious health issues. And he's dedicated himself to that. And he's now expanded that out through some new initiatives he's doing. But there's such a message in what he went through and how he's dedicated to helping change the lives of others. Similarly, people like the two of you, there's a, another guy named Evan Ruggiero. He, I saw him on the Ellen show or a clip of him on Ellen. I, I don't, I'm not around during the day to watch Ellen live. But he, uh, <laughs> he is a tap dancer who was super promising and up and coming and headed towards Broadway until he had a pain in his leg fast forward, he has a form of bone cancer and ends up having his leg amputated. And so if you're a tap dancer, for those who don't know what that means, it's you use your legs to dance and make music with your legs. And he lost one of his legs. So that's like half of his career, if not all of it. Like, I, you know, I think most people are like, well, that's that, you know, now you need to go find something else to do. Not good enough for him. So he went about his cancer battle with this attitude that I'm still... Like, I think he's even a little bit blown away by it, you know, trying to get him to be like, well, you know, why were you so strong about it? Like, what was it about you? He's like, yeah, you know, actually, I don't know. Like, I, there's a, a positivity that just sort of took him over and it, he wouldn't let it stop him. 
So he dances with one leg and he has a peg leg that he uses when he dances. Mm -hmm. He's just like, he looked it up. There's like some guy from the, I don't know, 1920s or something who did it. And so he's like, I'm going to do that. And so he's in an off-Broadway production this month. So like his career is full on. Um, it's just like people who face what others would assume is a, a life ending situation or at least a major aspect of your life ending mm -hmm. and they don't care and they're not going to, I mean, like, look at you, you could have quit. I think most people would have, and you kept soldiering on in that Jeep road. And, uh, what if you hadn't, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to get your friend's break and get back on and ride across the finish line and be the first woman to finish the act attack. That's the whole point. And there's so much in your story and the stories of others that give that kind of inspiration. Like people need to hear that. And that's what I go for with the do a day podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's just started. Res resilience is born from not quitting over and over and over and over. And it's so powerful in your life. Like, and it doesn't even have to be like a life threatening or just like this major, major moment. It's like all these little moments that it's, it's exactly yeah. the premise of do a day. It's, it's not giving up every single day too. Look, whether people have faced losing an appendage or a spouse or, or, you know, a major race that you train for months for or whatever, we all face everything every day. It's called life. The grass is not green anywhere unless you choose to garden. I keep saying that and it's super cheesy, but it's so true. Like ultimately, this is a choice. You can put work into it and make your life what you want it to be no matter what you face. And it doesn't mean everything will work out, but it sure as hell means more of it will than won't if you try. And that's like, that's the message. And it's just started. I just started putting out episodes in July or very end of June of 2017, but I've got 31 recorded. So I'm like, as we record this, I think today was Josh Lajani. So that was number 12. And uh, yours is coming up very soon. But I've got like 10 more that are going to be recorded in the next week or two. Like I'm pushing ahead and, and I hope that it resonates. I hope it gets a big following and not because I want some kind of stardom, but because that means people are hearing it and being inspired. And that's like, that's why I'm doing this. I love that. I think that's a great place to end it. And I would love to have you tell people where to find you and where you're the most active so that they can interact with you and also like where they can buy your book. Yeah, cool. So you can find me at Brian Falchuk on Twitter. That's probably the most active of anything that I've got. But I'm at Brian Falchuk on Instagram too and pretty much everywhere. BrianFalchuk.com or DoADayBook.com. So if you go there, you can get Do A Day. You can link to the podcast and all that. And if people want to get the book, you can get it on Amazon and iTunes and all that. But I also would throw out a special discount for your listeners. If they go to brianfalchuk.com slash Sonia, I'll get five bucks off the signed copy of the book. And that makes it the same price as the unsigned. And I'll personally write a message to you and ship it out to you. I mean, you get some other cool stuff to just help you on your journey. But you got to figure out how to spell my name or maybe you'll be good and put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put that uh, link up in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> it's the hardest part of dealing with me is my first and last name are both fun. Yeah. Yeah. That, I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, Brian, I want to acknowledge you and say thank you for all of your hard work. You put a lot of amazing energy into the world and your intentions you. and everything you do are incredible and you are making a difference. And it's really cool to be able to support one another in, in the same purpose. And I'm just so ha happy and thankful that I've met you and that you came on the show today. 
Thank you so much, Sonia. And shouts out to Aaron Keith Hawkins, who hooked us up. Yeah, Aaron uh, is a previous yeah. podcast guest, if you guys haven't listened, which I'll also put in the show notes. But it's pretty cool to be part of this community. And he's a rad guy as well. Sonia, you rock. Thank you for what you just said about me and for having me on. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your unworking vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. I feel more inspired to stick to my goals and stick to my plans after talking to Brian. I've been trying to reduce the amount of sugar I've been eating. Um, I love cookies and I love chocolate and just not having it in the house has been a really helpful thing. I admit to going and searching for it in the cupboard almost every day and I see it's not there. So that's one way that has been helpful is to eliminate even having those things in the house. Another thing I've done in terms of diet is I really like beer and wine, and I've put beer and wine into places that are hard to get to. So my title sponsor is Michael David Winery. So I'm very lucky that I get lots of great wine, but I don't want to drink it every single night. So I actually put it in the crawl space under my house so that it takes that extra effort to go get it. And believe it or not, that extra effort will stop me from doing it habitually. I also should mention that I don't keep my beer in the fridge. So if I want to have a beer, I put it in the fridge or the freezer and I have to wait for it to get cold. And that also stops from having more than maybe I originally wanted to. Pick up a copy of Brian's book, Do a Day. And that was so generous of him to offer a discount. And make sure you follow him online. He's a really inspiring guy. As you could hear, he's very genuine and just an awesome human being. I wanted to thank those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. It's awesome to see that some of you are contributing to the growth of this show, and it really does help. Even $4 a month, that's nothing. But if a few people do it, it ends up adding up, and it really helps a lot. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And speaking of supporting the show, I want to give a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Four Sigmatic. They're pretty cool. They're really making forward leaps and bounds in how we view mushrooms. A lot of people laugh about mushrooms. They think they're for psychedelics or they think they're just like portobello mushrooms you put on your pizza. But after taking part in the Mushroom Academy on their website, foursigmatic.com, the Mushroom Academy is free. I've learned that mushrooms or they call it fungi or I, I think the guy actually says fungi. So I think I'm saying it wrong. They have, there's 1.5 million types of fungi and they have their own kingdom. So like the animal kingdom is a kingdom, the bacteria kingdom is a kingdom, and so are mushrooms. Mushrooms have been used for thousands of years and by Buddhist monks and ancient Chinese on how to optimize their lives. So they help with immunity, they help with sleep, they help with energy, they're adaptogenic, so they will work for you. You might have heard of ashwagandha, which is an herb that people will take, but you can also take mushrooms. And I like the Four Sigmatic products because they taste really good. They're really compact and they come in little packages so you can take them with you when you travel. And I've been replacing my coffee with the mushroom coffees and also the mushroom elixirs. And I can feel the benefit immediately. I'd love to hear what you guys think about the products. If you want to try it, there is a coupon code for you for 15% off. And if you use the code, which is my name, Sonia Looney, you'll get that discount. And just go to foursigmatic.com slash Sonia. If you have any questions about the products, feel free to send me a message. And they even have a hot cocoa. So I haven't tried that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. The last thing I want to mention is you are all welcome to join the Plant Power Tribe, which is my Facebook group. 
It has over 1,100 members at the moment, and it's a great community page where everybody posts different things about things about their diet, health habits that they're trying to adopt, and it's nice to have the support and encouragement of like-minded people around you. So it's pretty cool that that's been taking off, and it's really neat that it's a real true community page. I also started an Instagram account, at Plant Powered Tribe, and that's basically just what I'm eating and giving reasons and science behind why I choose the diet that I choose and is more focused on me, whereas the Plant Power Tribe community page is more focused on the community, and I really like having both. Thanks so much for listening to the show, you guys. I really appreciate you sharing your time with me and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week.